Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. You know, I didn't have anyone helping me. We had to go out and pitch and get our outs. Welcome back to the dugout, dude. Continuing uh, our series here on interviewing current and former players. We are delighted to have a world champion on today. Uh, as well as a current major league starter. Brett, I'll let you do the honors as we always do, introducing our guests. Introducing hey, this, our is guests. Ba- this is back-to-back uh, World Series champions uh, the last right. few weeks. Um, uh, First-round draft pick of the Toronto Blue Jays in 2011 out of Grossmont High School, broke into the big leagues with the Astros 2016, and is now a current pitcher with the Pittsburgh Pri- Pirates. He's the one and only Joe Musgrove. What, what's up, buddy? Welcome to the dugout. Good, man. Thanks for having me. It's been a while. We uh... – the last time I saw you, might have been in the backyard at Dom's. Yeah, so Joe and I have a, we have an interesting uh, connection, which which we can go into a little bit. There's a there's a huge connection in San Diego, which um, I, I think baseball in general is such a small small community, and you really figure out once you get to know people and talk to people how interconnected we are, like on all levels. So um, Joe and I actually met. I was still playing, and uh we have a buddy, uh, Dom Johnson, whose dad played in the big leagues for the Reds um, for a long time. was a great – I think he led the, the National League in RBIs one year uh, with the Reds. But Dom is like the guy here for pitching in San Diego. I mean, there's countless minor leaguers and major leagues. Once those minor leaguers get to the big leagues like Joe, they keep coming back. And it's, it's a place – it's a safe place where you can go, you can work out. And Dom is great. He's accessible. He's super passionate. But I'm, I'm working out, still trying to, you know – get my career uh extended a little bit and i'm throwing a bullpen and (laughs) there's a kid behind the plate catching me this is like the first time i remember you're probably there like but he's catching me he's just sticking pitches back there and 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 i throw my bullpen we kind of hang out and and joe had left and i go hey dom i'm like dude that catcher back there was good like he's the best catcher to catch me back there he goes he's not a catcher (laughs) he's a pitcher and i was like get out of here but dude, Joe Joe's just a tremendous athlete. Um, so I don't. It doesn't surprise me at all that you're back there just sticking pitches. So that's kind of how dude. we know each other. We met each other in Dom's backyard, like he said. Yeah, it's uh, you know, Dom's my godfather. Um, so growing up, I'd always been in the backyard and hung out around you know the guys that he had back there. He had Jamie Moyer back there. He had yeah. Jerome, Bill Coke, yourself. Um, you know, a bunch of guys. So I would always go up there and just, you know, he would never work with me. I was 11, 12 years old, and then I wanted him to teach me how to pitch. And he insisted that I just continue to be athletic and continue to move and grow and let myself kind of mature a little bit. And then uh, I got into high school, and my freshman year, he finally started, you know, working with me and showing me a little bit about how to actually pitch. You know, I was just a kid that threw hard and had a big body, but he wanted me to kind of mature and let myself naturally develop, you know, a style of pitching before he started moving me around and putting me in position. So um, for a while I was his catcher, you know, I told him, I said, I'll come up and catch, just let me hang out and like be around the guys and stuff. And, you know, that's where I learned a lot about the game as a young kid. And it's kind of cool to be on the side of, you know, on the side of the ball now where, you know, I have the younger guys coming up to me and asking me for advice and asking me for help or, you know, suggestions and stuff. So, you know, to, to see how things have panned out over the last 10, 12 years, it's, uh, it's been pretty cool. So wait, so no joke, he's your, he's your real godfather? <laughs> yeah, he's my mom, one of my mom's cousins. And my mom grew up with them on the ranch in Poway and they used to ride horses. And my mom was no, a feral racer. What? No way. How did I not know that? Yeah, so Darren and Dom are both family and, um, you know, I grew up around them. So, 
you know, wanting to work with them was, was like my goal to, to be able to be in the backyard and be one of the guys I was actually throwing. And um, Dom thought it was really important for me to kind of mature and grow a little bit. And before he started, you know, working on mechanical things and, you know, kind of took off when I started getting back there with him. Gosh, that makes it like I even said, it's even a smaller world than you think. You're talking about the ranch uh, where Darren lives now, where Dom grew up, like beautiful little ranch in Poway and horse, like horse corrals and, and, it, and Poway, you got to understand where Poway, where we're from. It's, it's a really small community in the suburbs of San Diego where it's, it's just a little pocket. Like it's almost like a little country city. So everybody right. kind of knows everybody here. So how, that's it is. even really crazy. Like it's like the country of San Diego. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it, I think it's called the city or the country in the city, I think is the actual yeah. Poway little like name for it. We also have another tie that I'm not sure if you know about. Um, it's a family friend of yours that, um, my kids were in school and their first grade teacher were talking and she goes, Oh, I have a friend that's, that plays in the big leagues. Um, you know, we grew up together. Uh, my brother's real good friends with him. His name's Joe Musgrove. And I was like, get out of town. I know Joe. So we had this connection. It was Christina Rios. No way. I don't know if you, yeah. So they, Christina, Christina was, wow. um, she got, she's got married, but yeah, she was my kid's first grade teacher. Yeah, I know her. I know her husband really well. I I used to hang. I was best friends with her brother Coulter. We played ball together in high school. Um, he had a, a really, you know, tragic neck injury that kind of put him out of sports. But um, I was really close with that family growing up, and I still talk to him regularly. So how funny is that, man? I had no idea. Yeah. So we would always bring it up, especially like when you made your debut. She's like, "Did you see Joe's debut?" I was like, "Yeah, I saw it." I was like, "So we'd always have little conversations at drop off or something." So re- related around baseball. I told her I was going to make my way in and visit her class and bring some some baseball cards. Or something Dude, she was the best teacher. Like in 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 the school, she's known to just be like every kid wants to be in there because she's just so nurturing. She's she was the best. We had we had. Man, like that's how she is. You know, she's not putting on a show for the kids or trying to act a certain way. Like she's like that twenty four seven. She's just a no. It's great. That's and it's such a small world like that around here. Like I said, but so you're down by the beach, quarantine, waiting for the baseball season to go on. Like, how's it been for you? Just kind of hanging out, like not really knowing. Because I know I talked to Kevin Newman. He was at my house yesterday, uh, taking some batting practice uh, in my cage. Um, but how is it? Like you're kind of just hanging on, and and he's kind of hearing stuff from you know what he's hearing on the media and then he's getting calls from coaches saying hey we're close but the media makes it sound like we're not you guys aren't even close to getting it done so how how are you how are you kind of hanging with that it's been weird man I mean I've honestly tried to remove myself from concerning myself with what's going on in the back and forth um you know I try to I try to not be the guy that has no opinion you know and not put any input in because I think you know all of us value each other's opinion especially on our team but uh, I'm putting my focus into, into training and getting ready. I've been fortunate enough to have a gym and facilities to throw at indoor and outdoor. So regardless of the weather or the situation, we got a place to work out and throw. Um, we're getting into our live VPs now. Um, so our Jamison Tyone's our player rep um, for the Pirates. So he's done an extremely good job of, of keeping us all up to date and filling us in and kind of taking the pressure off of us having to follow every single post that's out there on social media. Um, so we get together, we have a group chat going, we get together once, you know, at least once a day and we'll exchange texts for 30 minutes or so, just kind of filling and updating each other. Um, but for me, it's been, you know, mainly focused on getting ready for ball and June 10th has been the date that's been up in the air for the last couple of weeks. So that's kind of what we're planning for until we hear that, 
it changes, we might have to back off a little bit, but for now I'm preparing to be ready to go June 10th. Yeah. We had Sabathion, um, uh, last week and the week before, and he was saying, you know, he thought that if it doesn't get started here, you know, fairly soon, like by July or, or July 4th, you know, it's going to be tough because you got to think about the pitchers. You got to think about, you know, realistically you being a starting pitcher, how many, how many starts do you think you need? We'll say in your like second spring training to go out there and be full as close to full strength to start a major league season without putting yourself in jeopardy of, of getting hurt. Is that stuff you think about? Like, you know, cause you can only do so much to, to get game ready and jump in. I think, I think the recovery is the biggest thing for me. Um, you know, I have no problem mentally, you know, with the adrenaline and just the, the, you know, the intensity of wanting to get out there and play. I can go do it tomorrow. But um, the recovery after facing hitters for three, four innings, um, that takes a toll on me. So those first couple outings, my usually my first two outings of spring, I deal with a soreness that you haven't felt yet, you know, in your buildup phase. Um, so getting through that and then not having the six and a half weeks that you normally have in spring to work through those little things where you can adjust your, you know, your throwing schedule and, um, address your lifts and your recovery stuff. You know, now we only have a three week window to get it ready and we got to be throwing every five days to get built up to that six inning hundred pitch mark. So personally for me, I feel like I've done a really good job this spring and not to say me alone, our, our, our training staff and our pitching coach and, you know, some of our guys behind the scenes have been doing a good job of creating a program for us to, you know, hopefully be ready to throw three plus innings, four innings, maybe in our first outing of spring, once we do start up again. So um, we've done, you know, build up weeks, we've done deloads, we've done lives now. Um, so we've kind of hit a little bit of everything and I feel like my body's recovering really well. I just had my second live yesterday, went two innings and uh, I'm feeling pretty good today. Normal soreness, nothing out of the ordinary. So um, it always adds a, adds a little bit of intensity and a little extra soreness when you're facing hitters in a spring type scenario or spring training game. Um, right. But I think I think the three weeks, if if you're preparing properly, I think the three weeks could be enough for us to get going. And with the expanded rosters, maybe they only have us go four or five innings in our first start out of the gate. Um, you know, we got the extra arms to to cover back inning, you know, back of the innings. So, right. I don't know. You folks yeah, are, uh, our guest is Joe Musgrove, Pittsburgh Pirates pitcher. If you want to follow him on Instagram, check him out. Follow him now. He's got one of the coolest Insta handles I've ever seen. It looks like Musgrove, but it's not. So it's at MU59ROVE. So think Musgrove, but in the middle, replace the SG with the 59 on Instagram. Yeah, so listen, listen this is I'm, – I'm like a <laughs> connoisseur of pitchers' last names and baseball numbers. It's a thing like – I don't know why my whole career – I would sit there and see a guy's number and I go like that number just works. That number works good with the letters of their name. Like I always tried to pick numbers that had zeros in them because I have two like O's in my name and I always thought it looked good on the back of a jersey. But it's funny because we haven't talked. We, we text every once in a while like during the season, but it's something I've never asked you. It couldn't be more set up. Did you pick that yourself or was that just hand given to you? No, man. My dad was always on my ass growing up about like, you know, or not grown up, I guess, but once I got into pro ball about, um, you know, just wanting a big league jersey, he said, don't get so caught up with your number and stuff, make a number your own. And when I got up to the big leagues, 59 was a number I got handed. And no there wasn't way. many guys around the league with a popular number like 59. So, you know, he said, that's your chance to go make that a popular number and make kids start rocking a 59 jersey. But, but not even popular. Like the S looks like a five, right? And the six, I was, I was or I mean, and the, the nine looks like a G. Yeah. 
And uh, that was also a little bit of like a little marketing thing that we could use and make some. So we got shirts and hats made just for like family and friends and stuff. So we got a bunch of people rocking them. And my mom wears it every time she goes to Pittsburgh and she gets tons of people around the state. And where'd you get that? Where'd you get that? So I'm trying to get some in the team store for people. But it just happened to work out. I noticed after a game, it was actually after my debut. I was at Buffalo Wild Wings, like rewatching the game with my sister and like my three buddies that came out for my debut. And uh, I don't know what, what caught my eye, but I was like, hey, this kind of works. And I showed my sister. She's like, that's so cool. You got to put it up. So, See, it, it like, couldn't be better. Like, I thought it was an intentional thing. Like, like, you had it in your mind the whole time. But the fact it was just given to you and it was set up, like, it makes it even better. I would see, like, Jimmy, I'd see, like Jimmy, Jimmy Rollins with, like, two eyes. And I'm like, he's number 11. I'm like, that has to be intentional. So I figured right. it had to be calculated. But the fact that it's not, it's even better. And that was when I was my, my uncle's number when he played in college ball. My dad had the number for a while. So it was actually a lot more ties to it than, than just the name. How crazy. So, you know, you're on the Pirates. Um, you know, Orange County, like I said, uh, Josh's brother and I, well, Josh and I played high school together. Josh's brother, uh, Brett Boone, Phil Nevin, we played high school baseball together. I actually played with Brett Boone uh, for Cincinnati and Seattle. I played with Phil Nevin on the Padres. Um, the Pirates, uh, I saw a thing on you, which is really interesting. I want you to tell you there's a couple pitchers and one specifically too, that you actually went to high school with and you guys are all on the same starting pitching staff, which is a crazy thing to think about. And along with Kevin Newman, who was a local Poway boy. So you got all these, you got four San Diego guys that grew up like 10, 15 minutes from each other on the same team, which is, is a crazy thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we got, I mean, Trevor Williams was RB. Brault went to my high school. Newman was Poway High. Um, you know, we got even Philip Evans just joined the group now. He came to us in spring training. I mean, there's so many guys from the San Diego area now that are in one team. And to to think, if, if you were to ask me back in high school, if there was one guy on that team that I played with that I might have a chance to play in the big leagues, Brault would not have been the one guy. That <laughs> no, was, you know, not. Uh, not. Not that he wasn't a good athlete. He was a, he was a great athlete, but you know, he was always into the theater and the choir side of things. And we kind of thought that he was just using baseball to get himself into school. And, you know, he's going to kind of go down that avenue more so than baseball. Um, and I remember seeing one day after the draft that Brault had gotten picked up and I called him and I was super happy for him. And then next thing I know, he's in the big leagues before I am. And um, I ended up getting traded over to, he got traded over, I think was from Baltimore over to Pittsburgh that year before right. me. And I ended up there and it made my transition a little easier having a couple guys I already knew there and, you know, especially next teammate. But just wild, man, to have the same guy, you know, someone from your same school. You had a one from the same area, but from your same school, same year, it was pretty wild. So, no, do you got you guys, like, played on the same team in high school, like, both pitchers, both on the same staff? Yeah, he was, uh, he was actually one school year ahead of me. So, um, we played, I think, two years ago. I played uh, – I didn't even – I wasn't even a starter on our varsity team until my junior year. So, we had a competitive team, but – also was I was a little overweight I wasn't as like athletic and agile as I am now I was just a big hard-thrown kid um but we played our junior or a little bit of my sophomore year and junior year together and then he graduated um but he was close I mean he took my sister to the winter formal and <laughs> I heard that and I was like how yeah. did, how does that sit like <laughs> yeah. I, th I think they went more as friends than anything um they were both in in theater together and a big group of them all went so I went with one of my sister's friends she took Steven so you didn't ask like anything about, you didn't ask anything about like, Hey, how'd the night go? Nothing like that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I wasn't too worried about that. 
Or you could show up at the door. Uh, I think Matt, uh, when my sister got brought home from prom with one of my friends, Matt showed up shirtless with a baseball bat and a headband looking (laughs) like Rambo welcoming welcoming them home or something. So, hey, Brett, do you – I heard you guys talking about – the backyard where you met. Um, did you ever work out with uh, Mike Robertson's dad? Because uh, I know when Matt and Phil and Brett uh, Boone were all in the big leagues, it was. The, I always thought this would have been the greatest like Sports Center feature when they were in a slump. I don't know. I can't speak to Brett Boone, but I know for a fact I was at the field at El Dorado when Phil was was you know getting kind of a off the books, workout, hitting, get out of my slump instruction from Mike Robertson's dad. So Mike Robertson's dad was a three-sport All-American in college, I think at Minnesota. And I always just thought it would have been a great story that here's all these guys have access to these great hitting coaches in the big leagues, yet when they're really in a slump and they're visiting SoCal, they're at El Dorado with, you know, uh, a guy that they, they learned from breaking it down from. So did you ever hear any of those stories? Well, the, yeah, I, I didn't hear any of those stories. I, I wasn't good enough in high school. Um, I was horrible. Uh, <clears throat> I thought I was a hitter. I wasn't really a pitcher. So I probably wasn't good, good enough to get invited to that, to those, <laughs> to those uh, workouts. But the funny thing is, is, and I think Joe can talk a little bit about this too, is I think we all have that guy. We all have that guy that's not in the game that has watched us like for me dom 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 didn't teach me stuff mechanically because at the point when i went to dom's i had already had eight or nine years in the big leagues um and i went there because my brother my throwing partner had blew his uh bicep tendon out dom was the pitching coach at at the high school by my house so i started going and working out but like like dom and joe like now that i know about it he's known since he was a kid like my kid's age basically so he knows everything that works with Joe and how he's thinking and how he, he works. So, you know, I think it's easy for Joe, even if he's struggling during the season, you know, he could say, Dom, Hey, check out my last game. See if you see anything that's not right. And Dom's just has watched him so many reps throughout the year in his backyard. He could probably pick it up within like a second. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot, I think a lot of times pitching coaches sometimes try to do a little bit too much coaching and, um, you know, what I like about Dom is not only the personal connection. I mean, I, he's, we've known each other for so long. He knows how I tick. He knows when he needs to get on me and, and get me going a little bit, when he needs to calm me down, which are all things that just create an easier work environment for you. But um, what he does well is he, he communicates. He talks to you and he asks questions. He almost forces you to become your own pitching coach and, you know, helps you understand when you're doing, when you're doing well and things are going strong, what is it that you're doing well? You know, like he'll stop you and I'll ask you, what'd you feel there? You know, and there's no right or wrong answer. He just wants you to understand what you're feeling so that when you're on the mound and there's no pitching coach next to you, or there's no one to, to tell you to make the adjustment, you know, are you able to feel it? Are you able to make the adjustment pitch to pitch as opposed to, you know, two, three, four batters later, you feel like what the adjustment is, or you get out of the inning and come in and they say, Hey, you're getting a little deep. And you're like, Oh shit. You know, I should have known that. I think he does a good job of getting you to understand how you move and what makes you successful so that you can kind of become your own pitching coach and you can make your own adjustments pitch to pitch. That's funny you say that. Become your own pitching coach. It's probably the one thing I picked up most with Dom. Because like I said, Dom wasn't – we weren't reinventing my mechanics. My mechanics were what they were. But like you said, and I use this a lot with my kids in Little League and my son, um, is asking them like, hey, how did that feel? And if they're, like you said, there's no right or wrong answer. It doesn't matter. They can say, well, it felt like this. Okay. You want them to have that in their brain. So they understand that, that if a pitch goes low and away, what'd you feel right there? Well, I felt like I pulled off a little bit. So in a game, if they see that low and away pitch, it all kind of 
connects itself and goes back to that. And that helps you, like what you said, you're facing big league hitters. A pitching coach can't run out there and, and visit you, you know, seven times an inning. So you have to make those adjustments yourself. And if you're thinking of that stuff in your bullpens or the off season and when you're working on stuff, it makes it so much easier when you're out there. I wish I would have known that or thought of that earlier in my career because I was always a little bit of a head case out there when things were going wrong that I couldn't make that adjustment quick because I wasn't thinking like that. And that was the one thing I picked up at Dom's uh, backyard that, that I think helped me, you know, the last four or five seasons that I played, you know, and, and when you said that it kind of like connect, I still do that with my kids, like in the backyard. Hey Ty, how'd you feel? And he goes, I don't know. And that's an okay question to, or answer too. Yeah. And I think it's something he always talks about. And the reason why he likes to coach that way is he talks about the difference between feel and real, you know, like yeah. when you're on the mound, what you feel like you're doing and what you think you're doing might not actually be how you're moving, but yeah. if, it's, if it's how you feel and it's how you communicate, he can take that terminology and know that it might not be exactly what's happening, but when he says it, it, it triggers something in your mind that helps you create that feeling. So the difference in feel and real is important. And you see it a lot in young kids. When I was back there catching you, you know, I used to watch guys still, and I used to watch how terrified these kids were when Don would ask them, you know, what'd you feel there? It's like, they're so terrified to give a wrong answer that they're not thinking very clearly, but all he's doing is trying to get you to understand how you're moving. You know, he's not looking for a right or wrong answer. He just wants to see how you talk and what, what he sees, what are you calling that? You know, what do you verbalize that as? It's interesting because when I went and watched my brother, he went into a slump at the Dodgers. I think he was just trying to pull everything out of the yard after he hit a couple home runs and mm-hmm. got away from the fact that his first success was opposite field. His first two home runs were opposite field because he was a rookie, big lefty. And I, I swear to you, it's exactly what you guys just described. I heard Mike go, so what do you do when you step in the batter's box? Like, what is your goal? What are you trying? And I'm like, wow, we're going all the way back to Little League here. So it sounds like those guys just let you start from scratch and, uh, and really recreate what you already know, but just let you, let, you, let you hear yourself say what you should have been doing all along, right? It's interesting. No, it's great. And Dom's a great sounding board, even if, even if he's not – really saying anything he he's a good listener and that and that always helps and it's it's great that you keep going back there like i always you know it's funny you'll have especially in the off season you'll have kids there that are there the whole day they oh, literally dude. get there like 7 30 in the morning and they're not leaving until the sun goes down and there is just like a constant flow of people coming through there and i used to hang out and it's great that you keep going back because the the generation after you is going to see here's a guy that's successful that made the big leagues and he still knows you still know your route and it's a it's a nice little place the mounds are great like dom has a nice little setup but it's in his backyard it's crazy mm-hmm. and it's cool man and like there's there's plenty of times where younger guys will come up for their first or second lesson and they'll throw and then they'll change their spikes and grab their bag and we're like hey dude like sit down like chill for a minute like watch a couple guys throw like you learn so much man and Back when I was catching, that was what I loved so much. I'd get there. Our first lesson would start at 8 a.m. Our last lesson would be at 8 p.m. So yeah, no, and then there'd be like lunch from the taco yeah. shop or the Greek restaurant or whatever. Like, and yeah. everybody hangs out. Like, you, everybody'd be like, go. Or it's like, hey, I'm running there. I'm going to grab something. What do you want? I mean, Don, he would have a fridge with like monsters in it. Like, it was like, it's a family. It, it really was. was. It's really a family. And that's where you learn, you know, like even if it's not something that directly relates to you, just hearing how he communicates with another player, there's something you could pick up on. And for me, especially catching, I could see the action on the ball. I can see, I could hear the verbal adjustments that he's telling the guy to make and then watch how the ball moves on the next pitch. And I can see directly how it's correlating to the pitches himself. So it was really cool. It was really, really good for me to learn. And I still do the same thing when I go back there now. I'll sit for a couple hours and just watch guys throw and talk and hang out. 
Right. I, I, Dom, actually, this was one of my last years I played independent ball, um, coming back from a broken shoulder. So we started a little bit later and Dom, Dom, like I said, at any time you call Dom and said, Hey, can I come over? He's ready to go. Dom would catch my SIM games. Cause it was just me and Dom and we would have a blast. It was like, we would have a situation and we'd run through like six or seven innings of like a SIM game and uh-huh. just laugh our asses off because we would just be like, all right, so-and-so's up, you know, and set him up and he'd call a pitch and I, he'd like punch him out. He's like, three, two curveball. Like we would, yeah. it was just us two and we're just dying back there having fun. But that, that was the atmosphere that created. And it was, you know, the funny thing is when you're done, you'll remember that. And when you're done, you'll probably still go back there and, and well, hang out. That's awesome to hear because isn't that, I mean, you play for the love of the game and part of the lesson that he's trying to pass on to you guys is don't forget you're out here because you love this and you're good at it, right? Well, so yeah. I did that exact thing with my kid in Little League. I would, at the end of our pitching sessions, I would say, all right, let's pitch an inning and I'm the catcher and the umpire and, and we're going to get these guys out. So it's well, you awesome. talk about it for a second. Like, so, so Kevin Newman was at my house yesterday because he's in town visiting the parents and he took some BP in the cage and, and I had happened to not be home. And I said, just go grab the balls out of the garage. And I came there at the end. And so I said, Hey, if you want me, I'll throw it to you. So he's like, would you, would you throw live? I'm like, yeah, I'll throw live BP to you. So like, you know, we're going to gear up and, and I, I, any chance I can get on a mound and air it out and face a hitter, especially now, you know, Kevin, and I don't know if you know this, Joe, but Kevin grew up like right next door to me. I didn't know that. No. So Kevin, Kevin grew up li- literally like, I don't know, 60 yards from my house. And so I met Ke- I, what's that? Were his parents still in that same place or no? No, they sold it. But I met Kevin because he was taking BP in a cage. At, I think he was in seventh grade. And little scrawny 110-pound kid taking BP, I just walked. He used to come down to my house and knock on the door and ask if I could come play catch with him in my front yard. Like, that's how not long I've known Kevin. So to throw live BP to him as he's a major leaguer is going to be one of the most bizarre things ever. (laughs) Hey, well, quarantine is still going on. We're still hanging out. Major League Baseball, Players Union, the owners are going back and forth. So who knows if that's going to start up. So even though all that stuff's going on, you can still have fun betting with our partner, betonline.ag. There's no NBA, no NHL, still no baseball. Don't worry. BetOnline still has hundreds of games, events, and sports to wager on. There's NASCAR. There's Madden, NBA 2K simulations, UFC. There was just a big fight last week online casinos with poker and blackjack. Be sure to check out the final dance with roundtable interviews from ex-Chicago Bulls, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, Craig Hodges, and Ron Harper as they discuss the Michael Jordan documentary in full. They're still fun to be had, so go on to betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. But listen, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about um, you know the Pirates. Uh, young team, um, you, you get traded in, in, in a quite a big trade going from Houston uh, in the Garrett Cole trade to Pittsburgh. So you go from getting mm-hmm. established in Houston um, having some starts there to go into Pittsburgh. And now like you're, you're one of the guys, you're one of the top end rotation guys. Hey Brett, um, let me, let me interrupt real quick because you yeah. guys share that in common. Uh, Joe, do you know who Brett was traded for? Because at the time it was as big of a name as the guy you were traded for. I don't No, I don't. Brett, you want to tell him the trade? You're two guys. I, yeah. That that, that's out, a kind of where it's <laughs> funny. You're going with this kind of where I'm going. Cause I want to know if you feel any pressure 
So mm-hmm. I was traded for Ken Griffey Jr. with Mike Cameron. But, but you know, <laughs> so, so going over there, there, there's a little bit of pressure. You're in a big blockbuster trade, and you, you're the guy. You're one of the main pieces of that puzzle, and now you go to Pittsburgh. Do you, do you feel any – or did you feel any added pressure to go and try to prove yourself right away or just settle in and say, this is who I am, this is what I'm going to do, I'm going to go about my business? Yeah, dude, absolutely felt pressure. And I told every interview that I didn't feel any pressure. By no, of course. I, uh, yeah, I said the same thing. I think it's yeah, taken man. me 20 I mean, years to say, yeah, there was a little pressure. Yeah, naturally there is, man. But, um, you know, I tried to grab that right away and, and just try to be as available and as, you know, productive as I could for that team. And it was even harder for me because I'd just come off of that World Series season where I was thrown in the bullpen for the first time in my career. And it was high leverage innings. Um, I mean, the most intense games I've ever pitched in for the whole last month of the season. And then you go into the, the off season. It's a shortened off season. I don't really know how to how to handle it and what to you know how to progress my build up. I get traded, and now I'm told I'm going to be a starter, whereas I'd been planning all off season to be a reliever. So I got a month and a half or a month maybe before spring training starts, and I'm trying to fire up my arm to get two three innings in you know before I show up to spring training. Um, I ended up just overdoing it, man. And I, I couldn't make it through spring training. I grinded and grinded as hard as I could. And I made it all the way until about a week and a half from the start of the season. I'm like, this thing ain't getting any better, man. Like, I can't, I can't go. So I ended up taking about six weeks to, to recover and then do a, a new build-up program. So for that first month and a half, I was hearing a lot of stuff from the press and from fans about what a bust the trade was and how I hadn't panned out and, um, you know, look what we gave up for somebody that's on the DL, just all kinds of stuff. So, and you're um, going to, you're going to hear that. I heard yeah, that my whole, I, and, that's, you, and that's something that I know, like I've gotten, it's not the first time someone's talked bad about me. Um, but I felt it a little bit more, especially being traded for who I was traded for and coming to a new city. You want to make a good impression. You want to, you know, impress the new fan base. You want your teammates to like you, you want to, you know, be accountable. Um, and I was out for the first month and a half, but I prepared better than I ever had. Um, you know, I sat and watched every game with the guys. What, even when I was rehabbing, I'd, I'd jump on and watch them online. Um, you know, I studied the lineups for a whole new division that I hadn't faced before religiously. So I, I knew exactly what I wanted to do to guys when I came back. And my first outing back was against the Cardinals at home. And I went seven innings with like eight punch outs and 60, 67 pitches through seven um, and ended up having a monster debut. My next one's against the Cubs. I go seven innings again, give up one run. We win two to one. We had that that beef with Baez at second base when I slide into him. It was just a good entrance for me into the city, I guess. And the city accepted yeah. me really well. And all those all those negative comments and stuff kind of went right out the window. So um, that also helped me understand that, you know, talks just talk. But if you go out there and you prove it and you, and you back up, you know, what they expect, then, you know, that stuff's really irrelevant. Well, I think you fit the Pittsburgh, like, mentality and vibe of the city. Um you know, Cincinnati was kind of the same way. Those mid uh, Pittsburgh's not, not kind of Midwestern, but they're very similar to like a Milwaukee, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh. They're like blue collar, blue collar, hardworking people. They mm-hmm. like the guys that come in there that are hard workers that, you know, don't really, you know, sugarcoat their words too much. They kind of say what's on their mind. They appreciate that. And Pittsburgh is that city. They're football teams like that. They're hockey teams like that. They're baseball teams like that. So I think you fit that mold perfectly where you're going to go in there and show people like I'm a hard worker. This is what I do. I get after it. And, and, and what you see is, is what you get. Absolutely. And that's kind of, how I've always been, man. Like I love this game so much and I have so much fun playing and being able to only be on the field once every five days. I try to do as much as I can in that one day that I'm on the field. Um, 
you know, and whether guys see it as eyewash for, for sprinting out every ground ball when you're a pitcher, like, I don't care. Like, like we're professional athletes. We train year round to be in good shape. I'm going to be okay running hard tonight, you know, 90 feet to first base and still going out and pitching. But um, I just feel like any value I can bring to the table, I don't want to be able to go home that night after a one run loss and know that I could have done a little bit more to maybe affect the outcome, you know? Well, I think that's one thing too, um, that I really thought about in my careers is, I always took everything really hard. I took losses hard. Um, you know, when I was struggling, I took it hard, but you said one thing that, that I, I really think is important that like, you know, you're busting your ass down first base. You're, you're preparing yourself. Like the fact that you were looking at lineups when you were hurt because it was a new division, because those games that you go out there and you get your ass handed to you, you can go home at night, look in the mirror and go, I did everything I could to prepare. I did exactly what did I what did I needed to be done to be ready to go out there and pitch and if it doesn't happen it doesn't happen it's easier for you to put your head down and and have peace with yourself to go out there the next day and 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 get ready for your next start the next four days so you know as a as an older guy as a veteran guy you know that's been through it I think that is the one important thing is is bust your ass as hard as you can all the time so you know that you did what you could do right and I'm sure you could agree that I feel like the stress and the doubt the self-doubt and the worry that stuff all sets in when you feel unprepared right um, you know if i prepare properly and i feel like when i step on the mound i'm 100 percent ready to go and now it's just you know let the cards fall where they may i can live with that you know and like you said you can you can get up the next morning and still have that positive attitude to go back and start working towards your next start you know whereas you get rocked you feel like you didn't prepare well that doesn't sit with you as well and it kind of starts to linger and affect the next couple starts well and the great thing too with the organization they see that and I, I, I swear to you that I kept jobs or got jobs because um, people knew that I worked hard. Um, you know, I was always getting my work in. I was always, and Kevin said this, like Joe's like the first one there and he's the last one to leave. He's there getting his workouts in early. He's grinding. And, and organizations will see that and appreciate that. And when it comes to contract time where, you know, you're in a, you're in a interesting situation right now, whether the Pirates should you know, go year to year with arbitration with you or try to lock you down with, with a multi-year deal. Um, mm -hmm. They'll see that. They'll see this guy. He's, he can stand up and, and represent this organization well. He can get after it. And he's going to, you know, represent the Pittsburgh Pirates well. So you're putting yourself in a good situation. All right. Thank you. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> the Pirates, <laughs> I mean, you're a young team. Do you, got, do you think, you know, it's a tough division. You got the Reds who have bolstered up. Um, Chicago's always solid. You're a very young team. You have a few veteran guys mixed in there. You know, if the season does get started this year, where do you think you kind of match up with those teams? And, you know, do you think it's it's a this year that you can compete or is it going to take a little bit to, to get there? Yeah, this, this division is extremely competitive and it got even more competitive over the offseason. Um, you know, like you said, the Reds additions, um, their rotation in a matter of a year, year and a half has gotten drastically different, drastically better. Um, but I don't know, man. I think, you know, the more we think about it and the more we sit and talk as a team, um, we feel like this whole shutdown and this pandemic that's happened is almost going to play into our favor. Um, you know, a shortened season, half, half the amount of games, um, this kind of weird downtime where no one really knows what to do or how to prepare and how to get ready. I think it kind of levels out the playing field a little bit more. Whereas in spring training, everyone's got the program set. They know exactly what date we're starting. They know how to build their guys up and get them ready. I mean, now, everyone's in the same boat as being in this for the first time ever and not knowing how to prepare. So 
I know personally that we've been doing a really good job as starters um, on staying on top of our training. Everyone's got good facilities to work at. They got live hitters to face. They got gyms to work out in. Um, you know, we're, we're getting updates on uh, scouting reports from our uh, analytic guys so that when we do our lives, we have, you know, hitters that we can replicate and face. Um, so we're doing a really good job preparing. And I think that with 81 games, we can get hot and ride that thing out as long as we can and, um, you know, not have to be hot for six months, just get hot for that little short stretch of time for a couple months and, and try to sneak our way into the playoffs. But we have a lot of talent on our team, man. We don't have, you know, the experience and the years that some other teams do, but um, the camaraderie that we have amongst the players and the talent that we have in there, um, I think there's even more to come out. I think with some, some of the coaching changes that we made, um, having Shelton running the show has been incredible for us through spring training. We were, you know, at the best we've been in a while. Um, and one of the things that Shelton talks about is letting the, letting the professional athletes tap into that professional athlete ability that not everyone has. You know, you can only do so much to coach somebody and bring out, um, you know, mechanical changes and mindsets and stuff. But at some point, you got to just free up the hitters and free up the pitchers to just tap into what they can naturally do that the average person can't do. And that's why they have the jobs. That's why they're professionals, you know. He's constantly big on just boosting the players, you know, build them up, build them up, give them the confidence to go out there and do what they want to do. Like big guys like Max Kepler need to be swinging for the fence and hitting homers. And he's like, that's what we told him to do. We let him go out there and we told him, you know, use your power. Stop trying to place the ball the other side of the field. He said, just, just grip it and rip it. And, um, you know, I think that brings out the best in players and knowing that the coaches that are behind you got all the confidence in the world and are back in you, I think that adds another element into it too. I've been to most of the ballparks. I think I, I was down to three, but I think, uh, somebody just built a new one. Is it Texas? And I've already been there. Texas, so I gotta yeah. go, gotta go there. So it's back to four and actually Cincinnati is one of the others. And I went to the old one to watch Brett pitch and now they've built a new one since then. So two of my four are, our rebuilds, but hey, I wanted to ask you. So, when are you eligible for free agency? Are we are we two seasons out? Yeah, two. Seasons? I was a, I was a first year arb this past off season, so I got so, two more arbitration years. So that puts you. I mean, it's, I'm sure it's not something you want to think about. You're focused on making the playoffs, but if you don't, you know where that puts you. You know, you they put you as a lead candidate, right, to be shipped off. Um, as you near that free agency, so does that ever weigh on your mind too, or is it just too too far out there to think about? It is, man, but. You know, you always I think when I before I got drafted, I had like this picture in my mind of what my career was going to look like. Um, it was, you know, get drafted, get to the big leagues within four years, um, you know, try to get into a position where I'm contending for a playoff spot and have a chance to win a World Series. Did that. And then the plan was at free agency, come to San Diego and finish my career out at home and live on the beach and playing. <laughs> and you know, that was like the dream situation, the ideal spot. So. Um, I guess so far I'm on, I'm on that track, but I don't really think about the free agency, man. I mean, you know, there's no guarantee that I even make it to that point. Um, and I think if I start looking at that, it's going to affect the way that I'm playing now and my mindset now. So I'm really just trying to maximize as much as I can right now and get the most out of every season. Well, they got big, good beaches up the, up the coast an hour or two also. So <laughs> we asked Kevin, we asked, Kev, open up. <laughs> we asked Kevin if he was a free agent, we're like, where would you want to go? And he goes, well, I'd want to go to San Diego, of course, and play at home to the stadium that I grew up going to. So that'd be a trip to see you and Kevin both pitching for, or playing for the Padres. That would be insane. Yeah, I mean, I do. I just imagine waking up on the beach every morning and having my coffee like I do in the off season, like, 
the men, like the mindset and just the the energy and the attitude that I carry in the off season is so positive and so high. Just living down by the beach, everyone's everyone's fit, everyone's tan, everyone's out exercising. There's good. I food. can't go to the beach then because I'm not tan. <laughs> and I'm not, <laughs> I don't have the beach body. It's hard not to be outdoors and, and being active and doing stuff. And um, they don't all look like that along the Allegheny, huh? <laughs> hey, Kevin, Kevin, Kevin mentioned you're a big coffee guy. Yeah, man. My, uh, my parents have had a coffee shop for 20 plus years up in Alpine. Oh, really? Yeah. Kind of the mountains as you're heading out to Arizona off the eight. Um, they opened it up in 98, I believe 99. And, uh, they had up to like seven locations, a couple sit downs and now they've sold them off and they're back down to just their original one coffee shop, the drive through. But it's up in Alpine and it's called Cafe Adesso. It was one of the first drive-through coffee shops in all of San Diego before the no drive. No way. That's, cr- that's crazy. So, I mean, Alpine, my wife has uh, a lot of friends that still live in Alpine because you, you and my wife grew up in the same city, El Cajon. Um, so, yeah, what, geez, that's, that's, like you said, another small world. Um, yeah. I've probably been by it a, a hundred times driving out to Arizona for yeah, spring training. Big, it's right off Tavern Road. It's a big exit um, right next to the – we used to own – take tavern road and go left across the bridge there's a, a gas station there and in that same lot was our coffee shop so we ended up buying the coffee shop and the gas station lot and just owned the whole lot and we had a texaco gas station that we owned for a while and had that whole piece of property How crazy all right well well you did mention um you know 2017 uh the world series we'll we'll touch on a little bit you and i have, have text off 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 you know camera a little bit because i think this is my personal opinion josh josh there's been an ongoing thing about the Astros and the Dodgers because we're a Dodger based podcast um, and a fan base. So, you know, it's, it's a dicey situation and and I don't think people need to know all the specifics. What's come out has come out. And I think that's good enough for the public. Um, You said some stuff, you spoke up, you know, when you got to the pirates, because I'm interested to know how you were received coming to the pirates Hmm. and how many questions you got from other players wanting to know or not wanting to know, you know, exactly went on. How were, how are the players, um, you know, coming to you? Were they asking a lot of questions of what was going on or did they just kind of, cause baseball's a fraternity. We're kind of all in it together. And there's things that don't even need to be said if, if, if in the game itself, you know, did you get a lot of positive stuff or negative stuff? Um, it was more positive than anything. Um, I'm sure the negative ones guys just chose not to speak up or say anything. But um, a lot of the guys were just curious as to what was actually happening and what was going on. Um, and being in the Pirates organization, we didn't do a whole lot to steal signs and whatnot. So it was almost an, an exciting and intriguing for them to hear how we were doing it and what was going on. Um, so I, I didn't have I didn't have guys at my neck or you know guys waiting for me at my locker. You know, <laughs> come to, on, spill the beans. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> how was it all done? But, but they were but they were they were fine about it, man. I mean, no one no one harassed me. No one was on me about it. They kind of you know they understood too that I was a pitcher and that I didn't really have a whole lot of say in what was going on or I didn't really benefit much aside from you know I guess the title itself. I didn't benefit in my innings on the mound. You know, I didn't have anyone helping me. We had to go out and pitch and get our outs. Um, so they not to mention you were you were you're not a rookie, but you were you were barely past your rookie year, and you're the last guy on the team that's in position to say. I'm yeah, a- man. I mean, I'm I'm around you know some big big names in that clubhouse, um, you know, and I had no business specking. And I was in the bullpen for the second half of the season, so I didn't really firsthand see a whole lot of what was going on. Um, you know, you hear the stories, and we talk about it after the game, obviously, but um, you know, I didn't get to really be in the dugout and see how it was going down and what was actually happening, but. 
Um, I knew about it and I had the opportunity to say something, but until you're in the situation where you're in a big league clubhouse and you're surrounded by 25 other guys and what you say directly affects them, um, I don't think people will really understand how difficult that is. And a lot of people like to think they take the moral high ground and say, you know, knock that off and don't do that. But um, until you're in the situation, you know, I don't think people are, it's fair for them. to Right. And, and I don't think people understand um, how hard it is for, a young kid to come up. You are just trying to get established. And I text you right after you came out and, and said something because I thought it was like a, a noble thing to do. You, you took accountability and you said, hey, you know, do I, do I think it was right? No, I think it was tainted. And I, and I respected that, that you could speak up. But, you know, I don't think people understand when it's going on and you're just getting into the big leagues, the last thing that you want to do is to do piss off your whole teammate or your whole team and have your teammates basically blackball you and just exile exile you out of there saying who are you to speak up and and talk about this when it's a team thing because there's a lot of times what happens in the clubhouse stays in the clubhouse period no matter what it is whether it's baseball go ahead whether it's baseball, whether it's life, whatever, it's anything and the fact that you said hey this is what I believe you know this is what it is and it basically said you know hey I'm an open book. This is, this is, this is how it, not how it happened, but this yeah. is what I think about it. And I thought it was, I thought it was good of you to come out. Cause you were really the first person to really kind of say something and say, Hey, I don't think it was right. And it is what it is. Yeah. And I mean, you know, being my first year in the big leagues, I don't know. I didn't know if that's just how shit goes up here. Like, <laughs> you know, like we see, I, I firsthand seen other teams cheating, other teams trying to steal our signs. We caught multiple other teams doing it. And at the time, it just felt like we were leveling the playing field. Or like we had found a better way to do it. You know, you don't sit there and think about, you know, all the now that it's all broken down and you see who it's affected and how it's affected everybody and you have a chance to really look back at it. Yeah, I feel pretty bad about, about how we went about it. But at the time being, man, like it was so competitive and you're in like the, the highest level of baseball against the best players and they're trying to get an edge too. It's like, well, shit, we're not going to let, you know, we're not going to let guys walk all over us. We're going we're gonna to find a way to get our own edge. Right. Did you feel pressured? I feel that wrong, but you know, looking back at it, it feels uh, it feels a little tougher to swallow now. Did you feel pressured or obligated to speak out? Because obviously, if I'm a reporter, I'm going to go straight for the guys that were on the squad that aren't there anymore because they're going to be more willing to speak up. Um, did Did you feel like people were seeking you out for that reason? Did you feel pressured, or did you just come out and say, "Hey, I'm going to clear my conscience"? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the first couple interviews I had, um, you know, I'd been watching very closely. I'd still followed all the Instagram and Twitter pages from the Astros. So I was getting regular updates on who was speaking and what they were saying. Um, and especially being a guy that's not having to sit there and go through it firsthand with the team. You know, I don't want to be the guy spilling the beans and putting all those guys that have to face the reporters every day um, in a tough situation. So I didn't feel like it was my place to speak. And that was kind of my stance for a while, you know, was that I'm not there. I don't know what they're going through right now. I don't feel like it's my place to speak. And then as guys started coming out, um, I felt like it was just eating at me and I couldn't focus on my work. I couldn't really think about anything else about coming to the clubhouse, you know, being afraid to to be in the room when media is in there or trying to avoid guys. I just felt like I was constantly ducking people and hiding. I just wanted to get it off my chest. So I felt like that was a fair way to do it. And that was honestly how I felt, man. Like my first year, it did, well, it didn't feel like it was my place. I didn't know if that's just how shit goes on up here. And, you know, you don't say anything. And that's how it's always been. You know, you see something, you don't say anything. You know, yeah. And I, and I think, like I said, I think you did it the right way. You kind of just said, this is how I feel. You didn't, you don't have to give specifics. You don't have to spill the beans. 
you said, Hey, you know, what, what happened? I don't think it was right. This is what it is, period. And I think, you know, we t talked about a little bit and I feel like from people that I know in, involved or in the organization, like I said, I know a few people are like snowballed out of control. Like it was going on and people got a taste of it. And before you knew it, it was like, Hey, this is great. And this is helping us, but you don't really realize, or they, you guys probably didn't realize the magnitude of what was really happening. And, and yeah. like you said, you didn't know any better. You're a young kid. And, and like I said, though, I, I, I think you handled it the correct way. Yeah. And it's so, dude, it's so hard. I mean, you know, this, like being on this stage and having, you know, this platform, you have to be extremely careful of what you say and how you say it. Yeah. Cause times, those words, those words stay with you forever. Yeah, man. And a lot of times there's things that you feel that you really want to say and that some people will really relate to, but you know, it's going to piss some people off and it's going to be twisted and put you in a really bad light. So, you know, it's hard other than having a conversation off camera and with the person one-on-one -on -one where they can truly understand where you're coming from. It's hard to get the majority of the world to understand what you're really feeling. So, you know, sometimes you got to just take it on the chin and just say sorry and, and try to yeah. move on. Just get well, we appreciate you touching on it. I, we talked a little bit about addressing it, and I appreciate you touching yeah. on it. Well, we'll lighten more, the mood. I, I know you, ask one more question sure. on that, but it's more looking forward. Is there more motivation to get another ring because of how the public perceives mm -hmm. that one? Absolutely, man. Um, you know, and, and I felt like we were a good enough team to win the World Series without that. And there was a good majority of, of times, like especially on the road, where we weren't using that system. And in the playoffs, it was – damn near impossible to use it, you know, because guys were, you know, or disguising their signs and using multiple signs, even with no one on, there was a lot of things going on. So, um, you know, personally us in that clubhouse felt like we, you know, we still could have won the championship without it, but we got caught doing it and, you know, you can't hide that. And that's why I say, I feel like it is tainted, you know, cheating's cheating. And, you know, whether it was one game or for a whole season, if it helps you win one game, that might be the one game that cost someone else their season. So I understand that part of it. All right. Well, we know you got to work out. I got a little game. We do a game with pretty much everyone, just a little fun game. Um, so the game is called Joe stay or must go a little play on your name. Okay. So I'm going to give you a couple things and you're going to tell me if, if they should stay or they must go. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you start the 2020 season, um, does this stay or must go playing in empty stadiums? Uh, must go. Right, so yeah. must must go me and I don't agree with it. Yeah, you don't agree with it. Like, yeah, no, I, I don't like that. Must go. Uh, I understand like trying to separate everybody and, and do our best to you know create the distance. But you got restaurants back open, bars back open, grocery stores are open, um, you know, limited capacity. I don't see why we can't do the same thing with baseball stadiums. You know, they seat 60,000 people at some places. Um, I think it'd be fair enough to get guys in there and just put them in sections and let them, you know, scatter around the stadium. But you know, it's hard to play a game with no fans, man. It's not fun. It's like playing the funny thing. We're talking, was talking about it with Kevin, uh, Kevin a couple of days ago or yesterday was it's like pitching a game on the backfields, like spring oh, yeah. training game. Like you're it's not starting, but Hey, go face the double a team where there's no <laughs> adrenaline rush at all. Yeah. It's tough. And those are the games that I would always just get my ass handed to me every spring training. Not fun. Yeah. Okay. Um, this is an interesting one because I have a take on this too. Instant replay on every single questionable play. Must go. Yeah, I agree. Totally. Must go. I mean, I, th I think I think they should. I, I kind of like the idea of, of having replay, but I think the system should be moved to more of like a football system where you see a play that you don't agree with, throw the flag. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me that you can have someone in a video room analyzing every single inch of the play in slow-mo 
give someone a full 30 seconds to see if it was the right call and then challenge it. It almost removes the need for umpires at all. It's the slide. It's the slide to second. The slide to second where the foot hits and they can look to see if he's no barely. Doubt I was just gonna say that it changed the stolen base because it was always out if you sold the tag. It was out every time. And uh, now, now you can't you can't create any havoc to make that guy get out of the way. So now it's even harder to come into the bag and hold contact with it. Whereas before you can come in with a hard slide and that guy might have to back off the bag a little bit, which gives you that little split second to pop off and get back on. Uh, it, dry, it drives me nuts. I want any game I watch and there's a play at second. I'm like, why are we even watching this? Like yeah. it's it's stupid. Uh, you brought up the next one: automatic umpires. They're talking about automatic umpires. They're doing it like in an independent league, like. What do you think? I'm sounding negative, but it must go. <laughs> no, but I'm. But no, there, there, love, be some, there's going to be some stays here. Yeah, I love. I love the human element. That's what we're learning on this show. We're all traditionalists, right? <laughs> I love. Uh, I love the human element of of mistake and error. Um, it makes the game interesting. Unless, and, unless you dot a three-two pitch on the outside yeah, corner, like. <laughs> but also, that's like that. That comes into play where you have, you know, that's the benefit of having a good catcher. You know, you have a catcher that can frame pitches and that can, you know navigate you through the games they got you know good communication skills with the umpire they're they're getting him on his side throughout the course of the game there's so many little things that growing up you fall in love with and like the catchers really take pride in that it just kind of gets removed if you add in the electronic umpire there was an art there was an art to, there's an art to like working the umpires too for calls like yeah, that we little even get, the, we even get heat maps now that show where the umpire calls majority of his strikes and where he calls majority so we know what side of the plate we're going to try to work for that day it's even even like when you're walking off the mound and the umpire is coming over to you and you like say a funny joke or something just to get him on your side because you're like anything, dude if dude, i can grease this guy a little bit <laughs> that big pitch maybe yeah. he's gonna go joe's a good guy yeah. strike three yeah. so yeah it's crazy um stay or must go analytics all the analytics involved right now. Stay. I think stay. Um, you know, they're, they're extremely beneficial for us. It's all, it, makes it, it makes our job harder because you can't really hide at all. You know, anything that you do is out there. Um, but at the same time, we get the same information on hitters, and that's helped me tremendously. Um, I feel like I look more at my own numbers more so than I do really deep dives into what hitters do well and don't do well. I mean, when I look at a lineup, there's probably two or three guys in each lineup that I'll put a lot of focus in for that week and, you know, create game plans and how I want to pitch them throughout the course of the game. And then the rest of the guys in the lineup, I just have confidence and trust that my stuff's going to be better than yours. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get you on, you're going to get on base. I'm going to get you out in three pitches or less, you know? Okay. Um, the, the pirates, black pants and yellow top uniforms stay or must go. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna piss off a lot of pirates. Man. <laughs> I must go, man. Those things are so hot to wear in the summer. They're long. They're heavy. Um, I did like the the all black. We wore the '79s one night. That was the black pants and black top with the black like conductor hat. Right. Really cool looking uniforms, man. But miserable to play in. Really, I even with the good like the the light like uniforms. Yeah, they, they are, but like the collar and the the bottom of the sleeve has like that thick scrunchy and when you sweat all the sweat runs down into that and absorbs and it just feels like you have like arm weights on on the ends of your arms on the oh, of man feet. they look they look great though yeah they're sweet looking unis we got some, right. we got rid of those those black and yellows this year really so, yeah i saw you guys had some new some new stuff yeah we got they remind one. me they remind me a little bit um i mean this is how old i am i pitched at three rivers um and it remind me a little bit of the pirates uniforms where when i came up a little bit all right um 
Players weekend, uh, black and white uniforms. I must go. I didn't, I didn't understand that at all. That's the one chance they had to do something really cool. Um, I didn't really Those were horrible, by the way. They sucked. They look like they look like a default uniform for like MLB show or something. They look like creative player uniforms. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Before you even start doing anything, this is like the baseline <laughs> uniform. Yeah. How, so, so the players, you actually, um, your glove, the glove you had made up. I saw a thing yeah. on on social media. They did like a uh, like a tournament of best glove, and you ended up winning. Yeah. Tell me about they, the glove that you had designed. Yeah. So there's an artist in Pittsburgh. Um, his name's Cody Sable. And he had done a couple of pieces of artwork for my home that I bought out there. And when he delivered the paintings to the field, I had him come down like right before BP. So we got to do a cool little like ceremony where he delivered the paintings on the field. And he talked about players weekend and he was like, you have somebody doing, I was like, dude, I already got somebody doing my shoes. Like I appreciate the offer. Maybe next year we'll do it. He's like, what about a glove? And I was like, I didn't really thought about that. Like you have something in mind. And we had just been talking about earlier that day about the new Avengers movie, like Endgame that had just come out. And he was like, what do you think about like a Thanos glove, like the gauntlet and we can do something like that. And I was like, if you got like a cool idea, I'll give you a glove and let's let you run with it. So I gave him the glove six weeks later, he brought back that thing and I was blown away, dude. It was unbelievable. That's cool. Well, I was an art major in college. So if you got an extra glove, you want to throw at me, I'll, uh, I'll whip oh, you out something. Definitely do, man. Um, funny thing is how do you is the nickname thing a big thing like do people like sit there with each other and go like hey you should do this or you should do that yeah nicknames do nicknames can't be self-proclaimed i feel like it's got to be something that's genuine that somebody's given you or that people genuinely call you not somebody that somebody said one time and, and you thought it was cool so you're gonna stick with it um i don't really have one moose was my nickname in, in high school just because so that's like, what you put on your jersey last year yeah i was like this big tall kid that hadn't really grown into his body i just kind of looked kind of awkward and um you know, Moose was the name, and also my last name and like my demeanor on the mound. Right. Uh, how I carried myself. I got that nickname in high school. So that was the only genuine nickname that I had that I could put on there where people that knew me wouldn't be like, no one fucking called him that. Like, really <laughs> yeah. Some of the ones that have like no meaning, you're like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, I don't know how Kevin Newman, I'm still, I'm working on How does he not do like, hello, Newman? Like, I know. hey, I ask him, I gave him a nickname, uh, Mr. Macchiato. So okay. next time, if you see him tomorrow, call him that and he'll die laughing. We were okay. I will. I'll tell him that. Spring training and the guy's got like his coffee machine. He makes macchiatos every morning. Went and bought the caramel syrup from Starbucks, the sweetener. He's got the cup. <laughs> that maybe that's what he'll do this year. Yeah. Um, he stays so skinny, even with those two thousand calorie yeah, yeah. coffee. He actually looks good, man. He put on some weight this off season. Um, he looked really. Well, good. it's always weird for me to see him. He always looks like I'm always thinking like scrawny Kevin that was oh, hitting yeah. in his batting cage. So whenever I see him and he walks up and he's like eye level with me and like he's got some, I'm like, dude, Kevin, you're all grown up. This is not makes he's me feel. Thump. He's got a little thump at the plate too now. Dude, I know. He, like yesterday in the cage, he was like he's swinging. I'm like, dang, Kevin, you got some pop. I don't know. It's a big matchup tomorrow, me and him. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, all right. Uh, pour over coffee. Stay or oh, must go. That's a, that's a stay. 100% stay. All right. I, see, I'm not a big coffee guy, so I, I, yeah. I, I, I don't know what the intrigue is. Well, I've, actually, I've actually been making cold brew here. I left all my, my Chemex. I have a set in Florida and I have a set in Pittsburgh. Um, and I took the set I had here in the offseason down to Florida with me for spring. But we make probably two or three pour-overs a day in the clubhouse, me and Jameson and our analytic guy, uh, Aaron Rasm. 
we'll take turns cycling through and making pour overs. We have a uh, French press. We got arrow. I mean, we got every single way you can make. Oh, so you're pop. in it. You're like balls deep it. in it. I love it. All right. Uh, pro, uh, I'm going to butcher the name. Pramani brothers sandwich. Stay yeah. or must go. Um, so Pramani brothers is a, it's a, it's a staple in downtown Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, what it is, is a sandwich where they put whatever kind of meat you want, coleslaw tomato and then they take a handful of fries and throw it on it and shove it in your face yeah so i've had permanis probably maybe four or five times since i've been there in the three years and four of the five have probably been after hours heading home from the bar and it's the only thing open and you want to grab a sandwich um but it'll be busier at 1 30 in the morning than it'll be at noon any day of the week i think the only time i've been in there is like three o'clock in the morning yeah, it's it's, sure. it's a big sandwich. We'll, I think we'll say stay on that. Um, I'm not crazy about like, Pittsburgh would hate you if you said must go. Yeah, I know. Right? They're already mad at you about the black and yellow <laughs> uniforms. You don't 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 yeah. piss them off too it's much. Sandwich, but it's, it's a lot. It's a lot going on with the coleslaw. It's like super tangy and sweet, and then the French fries. It's just a lot. But I just wonder what Brett was doing up at 3 a.m. Man, the, the plane got in late, right? And it was the only no. Thing. Yeah, it was it was it was <laughs> the day we got in. We we got in at midnight. <laughs> um, for sure. Or I couldn't sleep. Insomnia, just insomnia. Um, the lady that works there has been there for like, I don't know, like 50 years or something. Yeah. We sat and talked to her. I took Shelton there when he got into town. We, me and him went and had lunch there and, um, we got, we got to meet that lady. I think her name is Tony. I believe I hope I'm not getting that wrong, but, um, she's been there. Yeah. Like 60 years, something like that. And she's a, just the most, the friendliest lady. Um, really, really cool. Got some good stories, but yeah, she took really good care of us. All right, last one, and then we'll let you go. I know you got to get to a workout. Um, stay or must go? Getting asked about the Astros cheating scandal. Uh, I couldn't go any harder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, man. I feel, I feel bad. Everyone, everyone wants to break a story. Everyone wants some new news, but, I mean, I got nothing left for them. You know, it is what it is. This stuff's out there. It's past now. I'm just hoping we can move on from it. I felt bad we even had to bring it up. But the tough thing is it's it's – it's a topic and you, you, you were there, you know, you know what went on. You don't need to spill the beans, but we appreciate you even open up a little bit. Um, you know, our guest was Joe Musgrove, uh, current pitcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, appreciate you. Um, I'll see you in Dom's backyard pretty soon, probably. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed this guy. Thanks All right, for joining buddy. us, bud. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.